I just have to say again, uh, uh, Pastor Allen, uh, it's a tremendous introduction, um, maybe even better um, expression of what I want to share with you than, than what I'm prepared to share with you. Um, but the gist of it is God loves you uh, better than you can possibly imagine, and he wants your life to be wrapped up in him. He wants you to believe that. He wants your identity wrapped up in that, not in what goes right and what goes wrong and what's happening all around you but in him and in his love and that you trust him in that. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and talk about that for a couple of minutes this morning. Um, but, but I encourage you to, to think this through as we, as we go home and maybe meditate on the, the passage we looked at and, uh, um, and let God uh, certainly do a better job of, of making this real to you than, than, than I expect that I can. Um, but uh, at any rate, uh, last week uh, we looked uh, a little bit at Psalm 23. And the often overlooked reality that the blessings described in that psalm very often take place in the midst of very real hardships, very real trials and, and, and difficulties. Because in this fallen world, God often performs his shepherding task, his shepherding role, in the valley of the shadow of death, in, in, in the face of very real evil, and in the presence of very real enemies. Psalm 23 is not some frou-frou, la-di-da, up there, out there, over there, somewhere, uh, uh, flighty sort of psalm. It doesn't promise clouds and harps and chocolate rainbows somewhere in the sweet by and by. It promises the rock-solid presence of God right here in the nasty now and then. Psalm 23 is most definitely not a pie-in-the-sky kind of psalm. If anything, it's a pie-in-the-face kind of psalm. It's meant to bring comfort and solace and hope when things don't go the way you wanted them to. Last week, I focused on that aspect of Psalm 23. This morning, I want us to go back to Psalm 23. And today, I want to focus your attention instead on what God does in this psalm. The things God does for you. And here's the real key, the things he wants you to expect him to do for you in your life. Because before we go any further, I want to make sure you understand this. How you manage life, how you view life, how you walk through this life is inextricably, inescapably linked to how you think about and what you think about God. How you think about God and what you think about God determines what you expect from God. And what you expect from God largely determines how you're going to do through the ups and downs of life in this world. So just to get us focused and moving, would you stand with me please if you're able and honor the word of God. We're going to read together once again Psalm 23. If you're with me here in the Center for New Life, I'll read the plain text. If you'll join me in reading the highlighted portions. And those of you worshiping with us virtually, just read the text as it pops up there on your screen. That way we'll walk through it together. Psalm 23, this is what the Bible says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. 
He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. And you may be seated. Now, if I counted correctly, there are 14 independent clauses in this very short psalm. That is to say, 14 different statements containing a unique subject and verb. And in all but four of those, either directly or indirectly, God is the one doing the action. God is the one doing something. God is very busy in this psalm. And and in all those things that God is doing, in all those things he's doing in the psalm, he's doing them for you, if you are, in fact, his sheep. So for the next couple of minutes, I want to just take a little bit of time and look at just four of the things that this psalm says God does for his sheep, God does for those he loves. They are four things, what I really want you to understand this morning, that he wants you to expect from him, that he wants you to trust him for. And so let's just go ahead and get started. Number one, and I actually highlighted this one uh, somewhat last week, God wants you to expect him to restore your soul. The psalmist says, he restores my soul. And in Hebrew, the original Hebrew, the word translated here as soul is the word nefesh. Now, I am sure many of you have have heard teachings in the past about differences between spirit and soul and body. And I really, really want to ask you not to apply any of that to to this verse this morning, because frankly, uh, it doesn't apply. The Hebrew word nefesh really refers to you as a person. It refers to your person, to your, to your life, to your being. In other words, uh, nefesh isn't just part of you. Nefesh is who and what you are. It's your soul in the sense that it is who you are. In Genesis chapter 2, uh, God went to a, a lump of dirt and he breathed into it and it became, the Bible says, a living nefesh. It became a living person we call Adam. So when Psalm 23 says that the Lord restores your nefesh, it means he restores your life. I I like to say he returns you to you. He makes you alive again on the inside, reestablishing you as you really are, you as God intended you to be. Like I mentioned last week, sometimes in this broken world, our our souls get chewed up, beaten down, worn out. And when that happens, it's not uncommon for people to say things like, I I just don't feel like myself lately. Or maybe you've said of someone else, she's not really herself these days. Anybody ever felt like that? If you feel like almost like something's died inside of you, like like, you've kind of lost touch with yourself. You're walking around in a fog. You just feel like a shell of what you know you think you ought to be. Anybody felt like that? When that happens to you, listen, 
The Lord, your shepherd, is at hand, and he wants to restore your soul. He wants to make you alive again. He wants to bring you back to youth. He wants to do for you what he did for that lump of dirt. He wants to breathe his life into you. He wants you to feel alive again. He wants you to feel like yourself again, to bring you back to youth. And so I want you to understand God wants you to expect him to restore your soul and to cure you. The Lord wants you to expect him because he loves you, because he cares for you. He wants you to expect you, expect him to lead you and guide you in the way you should go. The Bible says he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Sometimes when the Lord does this, he takes you by the hand and walks you right where you need to be. Sometimes he just kind of points the way. Standing close by like a loving parent, but letting, never letting you out of sight, but urging you to take the steps you need to take in order for you to get where you need to be. Your shepherd never leaves you, but he doesn't always carry you either. As I've grown in the Lord over the years, I have personally come to appreciate this particular act of shepherding more and more. As I've come more and more to recognize how desperately I need the Lord's guidance. How very prone I am. How very apt I am to race off sometimes in the wrong direction. Years ago when I was in college, two of my roommates and I were going to take a trip to the beach. One of my roommates was kind of leading the way, and I was riding with another roommate in his car. We got, I don't know, about two hours from, actually, east of here on our way to Myrtle Beach, and um, we were on some country road somewhere in South Carolina, and uh, my roommate in the lead car got out of sight. And I knew very well that the roommate I was riding with had a very serious problem with directions. Uh, He was directionally challenged. At the time, we were living in an off-campus apartment, and and for the first month we were there, I kid you not, the first month we were there, every day he would leave our apartment, he'd leave the parking lot, turn the wrong way, and go into a dead end for a month. And so when the guy in the lead car got out of sight, I got nervous. And I asked my roommate, I said, do you know how to get to the beach from here? Not do you know how to get to the beach, but do you know how to get to the beach from here? He said, he blew off the question, oh, don't worry about it, it's not a problem, absolutely. And even if I didn't know how to get to the beach from here, I'd just head west till we hit water. The ocean is east. Uh, apparently, he was heading to the Mississippi River. But what my roommate lacked in understanding, he tried to make up for in confidence. But confidence in the wrong direction will never get you where you're supposed to go. Because of the fall, you and I were all born with desperately broken internal compasses, badly broken moral compasses. As a result of that, what feels right to you isn't always right. What seems right to you isn't always right. What comes very naturally to us is still very often the wrong way. Just because it's natural doesn't mean it's right. The truth is there are a lot of things that come very naturally to us that are very, very wrong. Lust comes very naturally. Lying comes very naturally to us. Outbursts of anger and temper 
come very naturally. All manner of selfishness comes very, very naturally. Now, our culture may actually celebrate some of those things on occasion, but as the people of God, we must be balanced. And what comes naturally to us is often not the right way to go. And frequently, the, the direction your friends are heading, the direction everybody around you is heading, frequently is not the right way to go either. There's a line from an old hymn that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Because I am so prone to wander, because you are so prone to wander, the Lord, your shepherd, is surely committed to guide you in paths of righteousness. And notice, by the way, that he guides you in paths, in places already well-worn, places already well-traveled by many before you, many, many, many saints before you, and most importantly, well-traveled by the Lord himself. He guides you in paths of righteousness, the very same paths he walked himself, paths that lead you in right living, paths that lead you to right places. He guides you in the way of the cross, in the way of self-renunciation and self-sacrifice. He guides you in the way of humility and honesty and love and service and holiness. He guides you in the way of loving God and loving people, putting others ahead of yourself. Jesus personally paved the way for you. He walked ahead of you and wore down the path for you. And here's what that means. He never asks anything of you. He's not been willing to do himself. Number three, the Lord wants you to expect him to accompany you throughout your life. The psalm says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. On this point, the Bible is very clear, actually to a point of some measure of redundancy. Hebrews uh, 13.5 quotes God as saying, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. In Matthew 28, 20, the Lord Jesus himself says, Surely I am with you always, to the end of the age. Psalm 139, in Psalm 139, the psalmist writes, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will take me. Your right hand will hold me fast. A fundamental function of any shepherd is simply to be there. This, by the way, is the Bible answer to the present-day problem of panic. When people ask, where was God when this or that hard thing happened? The answer is, if you love him and follow him, if you're one of his sheep and he really is your shepherd, the answer is he was right there with you, walking through it with you suffering through it with you. When Stephen was being stoned to death in Acts chapter 7, the Lord was right there standing with him. When Peter and Paul and Jim Elliot and Nate Saint and thousands and thousands of others like them were being killed for their testimony of Jesus, the Lord was right there with them. Now, I don't know. I don't know why he doesn't always step in right now to stop hard things from happening. But I do know that a day is coming when he will do exactly that. 
day's coming when Jesus will come back and set everything right. When he'll return in all his glory to judge everything that's wrong, to heal everything that's sick, and to fix everything that's broken. And when that day comes, I am convinced we'll be convinced that everything we have been doing wrong was well, well worth it. So in the meantime, the psalmist says, I will fear no evil. He doesn't say there is no evil. He says, I will not fear. For you are with me, the Holy One. The Lord wants you to expect him to provide for you. Verse 5 begins, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And here you find the simple promise that the Lord, your shepherd, meets your needs. After all, the psalm opens up, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be anxious about anything. Some of you have probably sometime or other heard the Lord referred to as a Jehovah Jireh. There was a song back in the 80s, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, his grace is sufficient for me, for me, for me. Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. Christian music's come a long way. Most people translate Jehovah Jireh, the words Jehovah Jireh, as the Lord provides or the Lord will provide. And, and, and without a doubt, within the context and the intention of the text, where you find that name in Genesis 22, 14, that, that's what it refers to. But it's fascinating to me that in Hebrew, the words Jehovah Jireh literally mean the Lord's feeding. I believe there's a powerful revelation here. That the Lord your shepherd is so inclined toward you in his person, in his character, and in his nature that the moment he sees a need in your life, he immediately begins to take action to provide for you. To be seen by the Lord your shepherd is to be cared for and provided for by him. That's just who he is. That's just who you are. The Lord is your shepherd, you shall not be in want. He prepares a table before you, even in the presence of your enemies. He provides for you, he meets your needs, he gives you what you need, right in the face of those who oppose you, right in the face of those who hate you. And so a please, please, please understand. That means it is far, far less important who presents it than it is that God is Nothing and no one in this world can keep the Lord from providing for you. And he wants you to believe that. He wants you to remember that. He wants you to expect that of him. So you quit fretting over what you don't have. So you keep you quit fretting over what someone else is trying to take from you. So you spend less time focusing on what's wrong, focusing on who's against you, focusing on what's not working. Those things are real. But the Lord's commitment to provide for you is just as real and far more consequential. Nobody and nothing in this world can stop the Lord your shepherd from getting you what you need. And you need to believe that and live like you believe face of people trying to take stuff from you. It's easy to say, hey, somebody take something from you. Give them something else. 
to take your cloak, give him your coat. God's got more. And he's your shepherd, and he's committed to provide for you, and he wants to give you what's best for that. Your job is not your career. Your, your, your intellect, your, your, your stock uh, portfolio, those things are not your career. God may work through them, but he's your source. He is the Lord your provider. One last thought. Uh, uh, in terms of how shepherds feed and provide for their sheep and add hope to this one. As a good shepherd, the Lord feeds his sheep well. But shepherds do not feed sheep by preparing food for them and serving it to them. Rather, shepherds feed sheep by leading them to pasture lands and telling them sheep stories. In, in essence, inviting the sheep to follow. When Pastor Matt or I or anybody else shares the word of God with you, we're bringing you scripture to walk in, pointing out the green hills on your way and urging you to follow. But when it comes to actually bowing down, to feasting on what's there, at the end of the day, that's your job. Every time, in fact, somebody else shares the scriptures with you, you really ought to go home and dig back through it for yourself. Pull out your Bible, read it for yourself, talk it over, ask questions. Don't be a skeptic, but do not expect to get full or healthy simply off what someone else sees in you. My job is to lead to the green hills and to help you sift through the weeds and the briars. Your job is to feed the sheep. And when you're not sure if something's good to eat or not, when maybe you're having trouble getting it down, you start to choke on something, maybe you, you get there and something about it just doesn't entirely taste right, then come to me, come to Pastor Matt, come to any of the elders and let us help you through those weeds. But make a commitment to follow Jesus, to believe God wants to provide for you, and to make a commitment to follow him. I'm going to stop there this morning, um, but I hope you're encouraged by who God is through you, how God is in you, what he, what he wants to do through you, what he wants you to expect of him. He is the, the Lord who restores your soul. He's the Lord who leads you in right paths. He's the one who accompanies you every step of the way through life. He's the one who provides for you every day. Have those opportunities for him, how he helps you, how he enhances and enriches you, how he causes his goodness and, and love to flow through you, and how he promises one day to take you into the glory to dwell forever with him in his kingdom. But to say that God is good is a painful statement. He wants you to believe him. How much he loves you. He wants you to live identified with him. And he wants to make a commitment to serve you with his life. So we don't live in trepidation and worry and doubt by which we are fed and nourished and strengthened. Thank you for that truth. Lord, I pray that, that, that as we meditate on these truths, as we ruminate on, on these truths, as we take them in and let them do their work in us, your word has strength for us. Lord, that, that we would believe it and we would trust it and we would trust the actuality of who you are. 
you think that is something you can create with your hands. There are generations that take their kids to the beach and to the mansions and to the colors and to play boards. 